Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. What's going on, Brady? Lots happened in the last seven days since we spoke. The Red Sox fire high in bloom. I guess first off, were you surprised by it and or by the timing of it? Uh, I was not necessarily surprised by it. I mean, you and I had been talking about it the whole summer, right, yeah. about the question of whether or not they were going to move on from him. Um, you know, the, the timing was a little strange to me because uh, you and I talked in June about, you know, the rumblings within the organization that they weren't happy, ownership wasn't happy with the direction of the team. Um, and if that, that was, in fact, where it stood, then why wouldn't you pull the trigger on that before the trade deadline? Uh, you know, especially after what happened in 2022 uh, with the team sort of on the fence to buy or sell in 2023. Um, I, I don't understand why they didn't make the move back in, in early in the year and, and give somebody else a chance to make a trade. Because, look, the, you know, the Heim is, as you saw with the response uh, from people, was universally liked. He was respected for how he treated people. And those are really valuable things. But there was also, as we've talked about many times, the question of whether or not his sense of urgency uh, matched the cities. And he had a, he has a difficult time, according to a lot of his peers, making trades because mm. uh, he focuses a lot on value. He doesn't want to give away value. He's like a careful poker player. And given that dynamic, which the Red Sox are certainly aware of at this point, why wouldn't you have wanted somebody else to make those moves? But, you know, this is where we are. They're in the market right now. They're out there talking to people. And I assume that whoever they get, it's going to be someone with experience because it would make no sense to go from Hein Bloom to a first-time general manager. You know, I was going to ask you a question along those lines. And we have kind of danced around this for a couple of months now. But the thing that bothers me in general about the Red Sox is that they don't seem to commit to any plan for very long. Ben Sherrington comes in, gets told to rebuild the farm system right. and save money, and then he gets canned, has an expiration date. Dave Dombrowski goes the other way, wins, and then gets told his way is not good enough, and he gets canned. High and Bloom, same as Ben Sherrington. So it feels like this job has an expiration date to it, and it's part of this endless cycle. Is that going to scare off candidates? No, because it's an incredible opportunity. Now, it might scare off like the elite guys, uh, you know, and, and we saw that with Billy Bean initially back in, you know, 20 years ago. We had the opportunity to go to the Red Sox, but the Boston market is daunting. And if you're experienced uh, and you've gotten your, you are one of the elite guys, you don't necessarily have to go for that. But if you're a, you know, someone of, of uh, mid-level accomplishment in the game, having the opportunity to go to Boston and compete with that payroll, a team with that history, I, I don't know a lot of people who would be able to turn that down. Um, so it, it, uh, uh, you know, it will be interesting. I do. And, and I tend to think of the, you know, the sort of the boomeranging back and forth of ownership is actually a reflection of the fans. Hmm. I think that, the, you know, that in the end, it's the fans and patients, uh, and, you know, their demonstrative feelings about where they think the team is that has led to some of these changes. I think in the case of Heim, um, I think specifically that it, it, you know, they saw the empty seats. They saw that, uh, as you know, some of the tickets were going on on these uh, secondary markets for a dollar yeah. to Fenway Park to games at the end of the year, and I think that had a lot to do with this decision. But you set social media ablaze last Thursday after this happened by asking the question about could Alex Cora move into the front office, and I've thought about this over the last week, and I think Alex Cora wants to still manage, but I also think. 
the job security for him is much greater if he goes into the front office because he does seem to be a guy who can transcend what I just mentioned, and he's kind of part of the Red Sox family. That The job security there seems to be better than being, you know, staying as manager and getting a new GM to come who inherits you because we know how that dynamic goes. Where do you stand a week later after your tweet on the idea of Cora ascending? Yeah, um, I think it, and I, and it's interesting, and I have not, you know, made calls in the last 72 hours to follow up on, on this part, but I did find it interesting that the wording, uh, of everyone was, yeah, Alex will continue as the manager. And that doesn't necessarily preclude him from having a greater role in baseball operations. Mm. Um, and I'm not, and I just want to speculate here. I think you absolutely could have, someone be a manager and oversee baseball operations as long as you were to get the appropriate help for that person in the front office in other words if you could you could have alex oversee the whole baseball ops and and, uh while managing the team but have someone else be making the calls to other teams uh, about possible trades and then have alex be the one who makes the decision about whether to do it you know have alex be the one to, to talk about uh, you know, how you're going to structure your payroll. I think he's talented enough to do that. I think he's a really special baseball mind. Um, and, and, you know, given some of the alternatives that I've seen out there, speculated upon as possible next Red Sox DMs, I think they should be talking mm. about it, about possibly getting Alex the help that he needs in order to run baseball ops. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Thursday, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's move off Alex Cora. One of the names we've heard out there who's popular is Mike Hazen. He's the, I believe, the general manager of the Diamondbacks, but he comes from the Red Sox. That's how he got his start and been in Boston for a number of years. It certainly seems like a logical connection. Is that a guy who makes sense? The Diamondbacks look pretty good right now, so he seems to be doing a good job out there. Yeah, I think he, uh, probably all things being equal, if there were no strings attached, I think he would be the number one choice because he's done that job. He's highly success- successful. I think he probably, you know, if you were to do a vote of general managers, he would be in the top six or seven in the game. Um, and with his pedigree, he's a natural fit for the Red Sox. But he's under contract with the Diamondbacks through 2024, and the Diamondbacks also hold a club option for 2025. So the Red Sox can't talk to him unless the Diamondbacks give permission. I do think that, uh, you know, Ken Kendrick, who owns the Diamondbacks, probably should look into the future and ask himself the question, look, when Mike's contract is set to expire, uh, am I going to be willing to pay him 7 to $10 million a year, which is the going rate for guys at Mike's level? Uh, and if the answer is no, then I do think it now might be the time where the Diamondbacks can pivot because their baseball ops is in excellent condition given the work that, uh, you know, that Mike has done over there. Amiel Sade, uh, who was his assistant general manager, also came from the Red Sox, could move up and be a lot cheaper than Mike would be. And maybe that fits the Diamondbacks, uh, payroll situation and what they want to pay their front office people. And you know what? That would work out great for the Red Sox. Yes. If it- that's what Mike wants. At the very least, Mike is this situation with the Red Sox will give Mike some leverage in talking with the Diamondbacks about a possible extension. We're going to talk about all of this when we get Buster off the phone. I'm already formulating reactions here to the things that Buster has said. Buster, I do want to ask you about baseball at large right now. We are 
about 10 games to play left here in the regular season. There's still a lot to be decided, right? The number one overall seeds in the playoff races in each league still up for grabs. We've also got the AL West race, which is historically close. The AL wild card race is close. The NL wild card race is close. What is intriguing you most overall down the stretch here? Well, I'm going to be speaking close to your heart, and that is the, the steel cage match that we're going to see between the Rangers and the Mariners over the next two weekends. You know, there are essentially four teams battling for three spots in the American League, but it does feel like that not the Rangers and Mariners, because they play each other seven times in the last ten games, only one of those teams probably is going to survive. That's yep. what you would. It feels like that that makes sense. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, maybe excruciating for you as yes. a Mariners fan, yes. um, but it, it's going to be that's going to be interesting. And I think the Cubs are an interesting test case. You know, this year they probably have, have arrived to being playoff contenders a year ahead of what the front office projected for them. And there's a lot that you like about the team. They play excellent defense. Uh, you know, Cody Bellinger's having a great year, but their bullpen is a mess right now. Uh, you know, they gave up seven runs in six innings yesterday. They got a 4-6-80 ERA since September 2nd. Any postseason that includes the Cubs is a better postseason and, so I think that's another reason why I'm watching to uh, to see where they go. We're kind of rooting for the Cubs now in the National League here. we got a soft spot for them because just yesterday on the show, we had on Craig Breslow. Craig Breslow, former Red Sox reliever who won the World Series in 2013. He's got a, a childhood cancer research um, fundraiser wiffle ball tournament coming to Vermont on October 7th. So we had him on. We talked about that. But he's the assistant GM of the Cubs. So we got a little bit of a, of a soft spot for the Cubs here now. Well, and if you get a baseball executive who plays wiffle ball, I mean, come on. You can't go wrong. You know, I, I wish I could be there for that event. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, as you know, he's considered to be one of the brightest minds in the game. And if at some point he winds up heading up a baseball ops, it wouldn't shock me. He's very, he's a very respected guy. And and I do feel like with, I mean, the, the, the Cubs are so loaded with New England and Red Sox connections between Breslow and David Ross and Jed Hoyer, their head of baseball operations, uh, it does feel like it's, it's almost like a National League, uh, you know, brother organization. You know, it is interesting. I'll get you out of here on this because we asked, you know, Craig about this, about his transition from playing to the front office, and I was thinking a lot about the Alex Cora thing. He did say that when he went to the front office, there was a lot to learn, and he didn't realize how much how much there was to learn. You think Alex Cora could do it. Obviously, he's got the managerial side down, so he's had some experience. He's not going right from playing to the front office. But would it worry you at all about Alex Cora making that transition right away? I I would think it would be a concern that you would address. But, you know, Alex, as you know, uh, has served as the general manager of a couple of teams. So he's gotten some taste of that. Alex has a very close relationship with Scott Boris, who was his agent during his career. I think that's helped to give Alex a lot of insight in negotiations and value. I think he's a special talent evaluator. Uh, but the pitfalls are there. And the best example that I can give you in recent years was Derek Jeter going to the Marlins. Like he joined the front office and everyone thought that it was a, a great idea. But what was exposed right away was, is that, you know, while Derek, you know, was a phenomenal shortstop, he didn't have a lot of contacts in baseball. He didn't have a, you know, a, a Rolodex of, of people that he could call to help fill out his front office. And so he wound up bringing in a lot of Yankee people. Some of them, it didn't go so well. And then he was out after just five years. 
and they didn't make a lot of progress in his tenure. So I, I do think it's, there's some concerns, but I think Alex, because he was, uh, you know, sort of a fringy, you know, utility guy for some of his career and, and began to look at the, the sport from 30,000 feet uh, sooner than a lot of players do, I, I do think he's uniquely suited to potentially do a job like that at some point. Buster, you're the best. Next time we talk, we're going to be on the eaves of the end of the Red Sox season, which is hard to believe. We still have plenty to talk about when it comes to the playoff races, and we'll be heading into the final weekend when we talk this time next week. So, Buster, we appreciate it. Enjoy this weekend's action. I'll probably need some Pepto-Bismol for the Mariners and Rangers, and we'll, uh, we'll talk in seven days. Well, good luck, Brady.